0: All right, all you sadists and masochists. <laughs> Don't know why I keep opening the episode with that uh, episodes with that. But again, if you're listening to this this podcast, then you're likely a founder or creator of some kind, so you probably are a masochist. Today's episode is is with one of my favorite guests that's been on the podcast. He's been on before and we talk about the evolution and current state of this remote work world we are all in and happened for the last 18 months. For him, he's been it for 18 years, so he has a little experience with it. And we talk about tools, we talk about the best practices, we talk about the silly things companies are doing. We also talk about the utopia of a work-from-home or remote work culture. What does that utopia look like? And then equally, what does that dystopia look like? What is a company that thinks they're they're doing it right, but but it's causing just hell for everybody. What does that dystopia look like? And uh, and a few of the things in between, the silly things that companies are doing these days that just don't have any real first principles sense to them, but they're carryovers from how you operate in an office. And he also talks about advice for team members that may be frustrated, as well as advice for managers that either are frustrated or not really understanding the cost that the way that they're operating might have on the team around them. So all of that and more today's episode with Heaton. Oh, love this conversation. And if you dig conversations like these, right at the intersection of creation, technology, psychology, tap that subscribe button ever so lightly. Tap that subscribe button. Smash the hell out of the, that bell thingy on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, But type, just tap the the subscribe button. Even tap that little like thing. Uh, Whatever it is, probably helps the Algos in some way. Without further delay, let's get into it with Heat and Shaw. This is Below the Line. The Shaw Man. That's me. What's going on? In digital studio. That's right. Basically in person. At this point, if it's not my family, I'm Zooming. Or Facetiming. That's right. That's right. And so it's basically like we are in person. Uh,
1: I am jealous of where you're at, though. So I got to say that because you're you're in Southern California. Uh, not that Northern California is bad today. It's kind of sunny out there, but like you're in SoCal. That's where I grew up. Yeah. So. Where did you yeah. grow up down here? I grew up near Knott's Berry Farm. So it's a city That's called La Mirada, and I went to Brea Olinda High School for most of my uh, high school life, which was a little bit further away. And yeah, that, these are my stomping grounds. Like I, I didn't grow up in proper LA, uh, but more like on the in the suburbs. And, where, and, yeah.
0: yeah, where is it from LA? I, I barely know the area to be honest. So,
1: so where the 91 and five meet. Okay. Uh, and so Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, were like 10, 15 minutes away.
0: Okay, basically. cool. Do you have any, yeah. uh, has there, after this Texas from SF and Bay Area, have you felt any pull whatsoever towards SoCal? I have. I have. I
1: have, <clears throat> I have a house we've paid for um, that I live in. If I try to go anywhere, I'd have to pay more for my house. So I like. I like my house. <laughs> I don't have rent or mortgage at the moment because I'm, I'm lucky like that. I guess and. Uh, I like it here. We we live in a place where like there's a little bit of water around here that you can kind of go in circles. It's, it's very, very Bay Area suburbia and uh, I'm into it. And if we moved to LA, we'd go find some other LA suburbia. <laughs> so yeah, we're good. We're good here. Uh, no, no itch, no itch. Uh, but I do wish I could come to SoCal more often. Uh, just, you know, come hang out. My, my, my father's there and my in-laws are there. Uh, a bunch of old friends are there. Uh, so that that's definitely something that I didn't appreciate as much until last year when everything, you know, mm-hmm. I call it the year of hell. So, mm-hmm. when, when, you know, now that the year of hell has passed, we all get to think about the, the future, I think, a little bit more. So. When,
0: you, when you say year of hell, what goes through your mind? Like I obviously could surmise, but I'd love to hear. It, it sounds like there's some real emphasis yeah. there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't hell for me, to be honest. Um, I, I, I. All the things in my life are designed around not having to travel if I don't need to, or not having to go see people, uh, and you know, doing these things like Zoom and all that. For example, uh, you know, and, and this, if anyone listened to the last time we talked, like I talk about my beanbag and the fact that I sit on a beanbag, and then you told me about your moonbag, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Although you're not a beanbag right now, but I am. Um yeah, for the podcast so, I,
0: I try to ritz it up. But know, I, yeah, for the most part, beanbag is where it's at.
1: <laughs> See? See? And and I don't just have a beanbag with a laptop. I got a beanbag and I got this little like table that I can put my feet through and I got like this monitor that's like 30 inches wide. So if I want your face to be really big, I can pull it off. It's legit, like I'm on a beanbag, but I have a monitor and, and I'll I'll show you something though. I have this crazy keyboard setup. So it's oh, it's cool. a Mac and it's a keyboard plus a trackpad and I can like, yeah, all in one. Piece. It is so awesome, dude. Um, and it's all in one and it makes my life easier. Um, <clears throat> I got all the tricks. Uh, I can I can link them and all that. But like I also got this Jabra like Bluetooth that I'm using right now. I do have a crazy mic, but I only use that with my friend Patrick on his podcast because he sent it to me. Uh, so I got to be nice to him about it. But I like mine. I sound fine right now. Uh, it's like one of those uh, Polycom style things, but it's really small. Um, yeah, I even have a stream deck, so I can hit a button and get on my main Zoom, uh, get on Skype because there's a couple people I like Skype, get on Telegram, get on Slack. Like, wait, not, what is this? Like, what is
0: like, a stream deck?
1: Okay, so stream deck is like this uh, device that has buttons that you can program to do stuff on your computer, mm-hmm. and uh, usually it's used by videographers so that they can do like cuts and stuff real quick while they're and like. And by editing. the way,
0: for listeners, Heaton is a. It, you are in your second decade of remote you know, yeah. work expertise. So you are learning yeah. from the remote shaman for sure. Right now. Okay. It's <laughs> so with stream deck
1: thing. Like I have one click to my personal Zoom because my co-founder, I usually get on that like every day, like when we need to. So I just hit one button and I'm in that Zoom. So that's dope. I have one button for Skype because there's a guy I meditate with actually. A couple times a week and um, he's a 70 no no he's 80 so he's double my age Uh, such a great human being and anyway and so I hit the button and then I'm basically in Skype almost there uh, Skyping with him Um, I have a mute button a runaway which means exit button a screen share button and a video on off button for zoom that I just can hit right and then I have slack So if I hit it, it'll just open my Slack window right away. Then I have Telegram because I use Telegram a lot. I have one for Google Docs to create a new doc. I just hit the button and it's created on the right account, which is my work account. Uh, And then I have two more. I have Bear, which is a note-taking app that I use. Um, And then I have TextMate, which is a uh, text-like app I use just for text, um, which is kind of like note-taking, but I use it for different things. And then last but not least, I have the Bitcoin price. On there. Really? And it says the price. Because, yeah, I don't know, I, I kind of like, I, I like this stuff. I like I like the crypto. I, I like the NFT. That's my hobby.
0: Is, yeah. And it's a physical little keypad.
1: Yeah. yeah. Dude,
0: okay, yeah. So t- take a picture and we'll put it in the show notes. I will notes. take the
1: pictures and, and send it over so everybody knows how I roll. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else unique that I have here. The keyboard's dope with that little slate. The stream deck. I use a Brio Logitech because I, I got that one because that one tends to have a higher quality, but I'm waiting for some of the new companies to come out, some 4K advanced stuff without me having to set up a whole rig with a camera. Although I bought some of the stuff to start that and then I just gave up because I'm like, I don't know if I want a bulky, expensive camera sitting here when my setup is relatively clean. And then last but not least, I mentioned this, but I have this Jabra, which I'm going to move. Hopefully it won't mess with like how I talk, but this thing is amazing. Um... It's a little device, and it's Bluetooth, but I wire it in, and it's literally like a polycom. Mm.
0: So like it's just your microphone. Uh, microphone for... Yeah,
1: it can be used as a speaker and stuff, but it's my microphone because, obviously, I think you need a good microphone these days. I do also have one of the uh, you know fancier setups like you do that's right back here, but um, I don't use it uh, except only on one podcast because uh, I think they would kill me if I didn't use it.
0: So. Yeah. Dude, it's you have like with my
1: buddy. Yeah.
0: you have. Uh, it's not just a beanbag. This is like a Jetsons era beanbag setup. But having said that, it still is a love that you just uh, are thinking through what makes sense for home and prioritizing comfort because obviously the slightest amount of comfort is going to either uh, consciously or subconsciously affect your work. I'll go even further. I have these this sweatshirt right.
1: It's, it's an Amazon basic sweatshirt and I have like three or four different colors of them. And, and, and it's purposely so that when I get on a podcast like this, I can wear a different one. Cause like usually, honestly, I'm in my pajamas. I'm doing company demos, whatever. Like I'm in my pajamas. Like I don't need to do anything else like that. That's just life now. Uh, and, and so I have these nice sweatshirts that are actually super cheap, but they look good uh, and they feel great too. So, and they're from Amazon, They're Amazon basic sweatshirts. Who knew?
0: Have you ever even washed that one? You yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I've
1: watched it. I've watched it, looks, it. What? Does
0: it look dirty? No, it looks crispy clean, though. Okay, good. I know a lot of people, you know, if they're going to go on stage somewhere, it's just a brand new version of, of a shirt or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, no, no.
1: I like this. Yeah, it looks fresh. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. So, uh, It's like 10, 12 bucks. Yeah. I love. Okay, so listeners, you're probably getting insight into Heaton's brain of, of just how he is operating thinking on on a slightly different level maybe it's too obsessive of a level for for you but for me yeah. i love this stuff where it's where you just you're living in the future and not the future of like you're uh you know going to space you're just like six months ahead of everybody in terms of everyone hits the ground running a year and a half ago with uh with covid and working from home and having to piecemeal all of these things together and you've been living in this world for how long 20 years now 19 years yeah 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 like so, uh
1: solid 18 yeah. i can legitimately say yeah
0: unbelievable okay so i would love to set this up um around the the remote working utopia Um, And obviously, Mm -hmm. that's probably a stretch. There's costs to everything. There there are compromises that have to be made. But if anyone has figured out the utopia for their company, it is you and Nira. Um, And because this is your umpteenth time to do it, you've been doing it for 20 years. And we have not only learned so much in the last year and a half on this remote, distributed, work from home, all of these terms apply, uh, environment that we all find ourselves in. It's also looking like two things. One, it's not going anywhere in the next six months, maybe not in the next 12 months. And two, if not, it is the way of the future from now on for so many companies, at least hybrid, which I think is going to be a Hail Mary and, and probably like just get downsized from like, well, people stopped coming or they were coming in different times. Because you can never, it's very hard to recreate the magic of all 50 employees being in the office at the same time. And so when people are all just kind of going to the office piecemeal, it just doesn't have that, you know, it doesn't meet that bar in people's heads. So that hybrid will get trunked down to all these companies just having WeWorks. But then too, I also want to chat with you about the, um, the personal impacts to our lives and If that's the case for the next six, 12 months and and for many people well beyond, especially listeners to this podcast and how you navigate those, those personal things. So from the basic sweater to the, the wearing pajamas to the beanbag, it's all relevant in this conversation, but I want to kick it off with one question, which is what has changed in your remote setup in the last few months? Something that even you didn't expect. You're like, whoa, this has kind of been game changing or shit. It could be actually maybe you, you are hating remote work um, right now because it's been such right now. It's been the most pure remote work I bet you've ever done in the last 18 months.
1: A- absolutely. I, I used to I used to um, go drive to my co-founder's place. This was a couple of years ago and we would work remotely with the team but we'd both be in the same place and I, i'd still sit on the beanbag though i had a beanbag over there too that's actually do you ever get
0: hurt do those. you ever have like yeah. aches and pains on your
1: beanbag no so this is this is a muji beanbag okay uh muji it's a japanese company it's like a 200 hundred dollar beanbag so it's not a cheap beanbag although all the beanbags are pretty like up there anyway and i i i used to sit on an on chair Mm-hmm. So, so I'm used to very comfortable back, never hurting situation. Cause the air on never hurt my back. So there's mm-hmm. two things that never hurt my back, this beanbag and the aeron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, and I think the way that the, the, the real key and even my setup is designed around this is to make sure that you're at eye level with the monitor
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and your hands are like relatively comfortable. And so if I had any pain, I would make changes. Is where you, my mind is. Are you
0: sitting so, Indian style? Are you sitting legs out? No. No,
1: so my legs are out. I don't sit Indian style. I think that would cause me trouble personally. Uh, I used to sit Indian style as a kid because we would do like religious activities because I'm, I'm a Jain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were a lot of religious activities where you had to do that. And like my legs would start hurting. Cross-legged for me for a long time just doesn't work mm-hmm. extremely well, even when I was a kid. Like I can do it and I can do it for hours, but it, it's not like when I get up, it's not cool. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want a situation where if I got up, Now I got to like stretch or do something. So literally my feet. So, uh, okay. So I have this little, I'll get to your question too. No, I'm loving all of this. Uh, So I, I I have this little stand and it's like, um, it's like a coffee, like like a, not a coffee table, but like a side table. Mm -hmm. Right. But the thing is, it's got a square hole in the middle. So it's just Mm -hmm. a frame. Like, a uh, a box. It's a frame. Like
0: a bed and breakfast type of thing that you put. No, no.
1: It's like, how do I put it? So, okay. 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 I got it. So let's say a side table has four legs Mm -hmm. and it has a top, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine this thing having a bottom too. That's that's closed. Mm -hmm. And then the sides are closed. Right. Right. And then there's a hole in the middle. Mm hmm like a like a like a legit like big hole so my feet are just through the hole i'm on the bead bag and my my feet are dangling i'm I'm shaking them right now that's why i'm shaking right Mm -hmm. and so it's so comfortable and then my back is great and here's the key the monitor i use is sitting on top of that table so it's like pure eye level like i'm like Eye level like I like I'm not looking up. I'm not looking down. I'm not looking sideways. It's like, and it's like about 30 inches. So my, my head doesn't even have to go too far. And I you're used on to the have ground? like three, four monitors back in the day. Huh? You're on the ground. I'm on the ground. Yeah. In a corner of my house.
0: Yeah. I see you're in a corner of a room, which is great yeah, for th- yeah, yeah. the back support for the bean bag is key. You got to find a good spot. for that. Yeah. Okay. That's in. You've never had, uh, have you had back pain in other chairs and things?
1: Uh, only if it wasn't an Aeron. Mm-hmm. So the Aeron, mm-hmm. we have like two downstairs. They're very old, um, but they work extremely well. It's like, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say anything but good things about the Aeron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Herman Miller Aeron chairs, like, I, I mean, those are like the classic like tech office space chairs if you really get to that level. Uh, but they do cost like what, six, seven, eight hundred bucks or whatever. Um, my current setup with a beanbag and some of these, you know, little devices in the monitor are like same price. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so it's kind of interesting when you think about costs and stuff like that. But yeah, I I think what people don't realize about, uh, working in this way uh, is that you need to make sure your monitor or your screen is eye level. That's like the number one thing. And then you need to set yourself up so it can be eye level, right? So the height of where you're at and all that. So because I'm sitting like this, it's eye level. Um, when I was using a laptop without this big monitor, if I ever did that, I would have, like, a, I have this dope thing you can't buy anymore uh, because, like, I just can't find them. But, oh, my God, it's, like, the best thing ever, in my opinion, this. So, this is, like, basically a laptop case. Or not Mm -hmm. laptop case, but laptop, like, uh, uh, lap desk thing. Mm -hmm. And so, I would put it, and it would literally be, like, three inches higher. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, then I would put my laptop there. And and go like that, and then the monitor for the laptop or the screen would be like eye level. So that's the one thing I would highly recommend for anyone. Make sure your screen's at eye level.
0: Yeah, the I have had lower back pain for over a year. And it's okay. because I I mean either in the beanbag or I'm in chairs. And it's not an Aeron chair. it's you're looking at I have two of these chairs. you 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 can see it's just a yeah. regular kind of uh, dining room style chair. and uh, the and I love my iPad pro small iPad, and it yep. is got one of those here. and yep. it's always pulling my head down. It's like an ergonomic nightmare. Yep. It's so blazingly fast yep. and smooth, portable, beautiful device, ergonomic nightmare yep. though ever I remember hearing every inch your head is tilted forward for a nine to 11 pound head. Um, every inch forward is like 30 pounds of uh, extra pressure on your shoulder and neck muscles. Just the the amount more weight that it needs to uh, physically bear is so much, you know, so much heavier. And it's, it is something that I never really considered until about three months ago, started to go to uh, physical therapy. And I was like, ah, but I'm not hunching that much. I'm trying to sit up straight. But the tiniest bit and the uh, physical therapist was like every inch that you're hunching forward with your neck, not just your shoulders, which is obviously adding its own pain, is, is taking a massive toll on your neck and shoulder muscles, which are then pulling on your lower back. That's, so I, yeah. I could not concur more with the eye level. Aspect. I bought a twelve. What's called? Uh, I think it's called twelve river um, stand for my iPad, so that it like stands. uh, The screen is up eye level, and it has been. To your point, that's been game changing. So you gotta make sure it's eye level
1: and screen. Like number one tip, regardless of whether you're working from home or not, you need eye level and screen, even when you're working on a laptop. That's what people forget. They just sit on their couch or whatever and work on their laptop and don't realize that the neck's like that or the neck's like that even a little bit like you said and it's no good. My neck's always straight. Like look, it's straight and, and I can look at you and everything. And with my keyboard, I just put it you know, right on my lap and I'm typing. I'm good to go. Very comfortable. So no, I don't have pain. In fact, I'm very sensitive to that kind of pain. Like in like a few hours, I can feel it a little bit. I'm like, no, 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 no this is no good if I ever feel the pain. And these setups I have, they're not, they're designed around the right ergonomics even but i've been doing this for years right and thinking about like how do i set this up um so that i'm good and the air on chair was my only other option but this is like a hundred times more comfortable than sitting on a desk for me i can go through meeting by meeting by meeting by meeting. like I, sometimes i do 15 meetings a day james and like this is great yeah i
0: uh, yeah i think myself and probably so many people listening half ass their setup especially because yeah. we've been living i think one of the most I think one of the most problematic things of the last year and a half is that everybody's in this limbo mode of like, Oh, well, we might be going. I think that's way more detrimental <laughs> than just saying, yep. no, this is the new normal.
1: I need a good setup at home. Set it I up. need to set this, this is up. New I normal. need to make sure I'm good. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when you asked me about the last three months, um, this exact setup was, is my COVID setup. That's just going to be my remote work setup forever now because I really like it. Like I have a, and, and I also only buy Dell monitors Not to make this a sponsored podcast for anybody, but like I've bought Dell monitors forever. I really love them. And so I look for them. But the key is like I just have one wire to put into my laptop with this Dell monitor
0: Hmm.
1: and everything just works. And it's just little things like that actually make a huge difference. There's less wires back there, less anything going wrong and stuff like that. So um, in the last three months, I'm trying to think through what has changed for me that is meaningful. Or Nira.
0: Yeah. Or just in, in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I mean, in general, um, my, my, I went from not having up to 15 meetings a day. I would do 20 or 30 if I could, by the way, um, to having 15 a day because I'm, I'm doing a lot of things uh, at Nira that are new uh, because of just the, the stage of the business now. So, you know, lots of uh, lots of demos for customers. Uh, lots of uh, meetings for work that are productive. I actually I think we might have talked about this before, but we didn't talk we haven't talked about it today. But like I focus on energy and what do I have energy for things? And yes, I have energy for all those fifteen meetings. If I didn't I wouldn't do them. So Fifteen it, it, it's meetings. something I spend
0: I I just I, I hate meetings. So I want to hear more about yeah the your love of meetings and and you said that that's changed in the last few months?
1: There's a lot more now. Yeah.
0: Like I, I can do them.
1: So it wasn't, I would have days with like 15 meetings in the past, but now the days with 15 meetings are more regular, meaning most days. Uh, and I'm, I'm good with it. And and so here's how I do it. I think, I think this is an important topic because we end up having a lot of meetings that are not in person, not high fidelity like that. And, you know, sometimes there's issues, people have zoom fatigue and things like that. So, um, and I think that's just gotten, it's gotten worse, but people have settled into it and I don't know if that's a good thing. Right? So this is the way I optimize not just my meetings, but my time. I don't think about my time, first of all. So I don't think, Oh, I I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I need to schedule that in. I also have a weird caveat which is most people that are in as many meetings as I am and scheduling them and stuff, have an assistant or an admin that manages their calendar. I, I manage my own time. I can't I can't ever let anyone else touch my calendar and my time. It's that precious to me. Um, so nobody does that but me. Have you tried um, that before? A little bit, but that, I, I re, I'll step back for a sec. So I think for me, It's not my experience that I care about as much as the experience of the other party. And every time that an admin's thrown in to a meeting request, there is this buffer, and that buffer is by design. So if James, not to pick on you, needs to cancel a meeting, James is not canceling the meeting. Laura, his assistant, is canceling the meeting. That buffer is a bad experience for the other party. No matter how you try to claim otherwise, you are mm-hmm. wrong. It is a bad experience when there's a buffer in the middle. I'm not saying I'm complaining about it when I have to you know, deal with it. I'm actually very cognizant of how hard the admin's job is cause they have to do this all day. So I'm actually just super thankful and I'm, I'm good. Like you want to change? Cool. You're using assistant? Cool. Cause it's, it's not on anybody. You're just, you've just got this system. And it, I think it's absurd and stupid and all that, but I'm going to respect it. Cause everyone should get all, all due respect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will not do that. I'm not putting a buffer between me and the meetings I want to have. If it's, I want to not have a meeting, I'm not going to have it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is so interesting. To hear this uh, this contrarian viewpoint to the way that some people are ruthlessly efficient with I, I know that there's um there is the the founder of tiny um and uh and meta lab and- i have lots
1: of opinions on, on on everything he says about how to operate I have yeah. complete disagreements with him that to the point where I have to mute him on Twitter. And he's someone I know. So it's not yeah. out of like I don't like him or anything like that. It's just like I don't agree with his opinions. so I don't want to read them on Twitter. Right. And I rarely do that. But his are just completely backwards in my mind on how to succeed in life and how to make shit happen. But I'm I'm a work hard, work all the time kind of guy. And I'm not saying other people should do that, but I'm just saying his philosophies don't don't work. They don't, they're not an operator philosophy. They're uh, hey, I'm retired. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm doing business philosophy and I respect that greatly, yeah. but that will never, that's never not me and never will be me.
0: That's okay. So. What's in it? What's a, a topic that comes to mind where you're like, that is so wrong. Um, and, and it gets, you can bring up any of those topics. Of play. I'm sure it's there's a ones lot of play. On your mind. Okay, like, so again, I'll... I muted him.
1: I muted him okay, completely so because I can't handle it.
0: One yeah. would be uh, something like, I'll do a life one and a, uh, these are ones that just come yeah. to mind. Um, yeah. a professional one would be, he openly will cancel the meetings for the day, clear the day for whatever's most important. So something happens Tuesday night, 10 PM, and it'll just clear the day for Wednesday. And he does that often. In fact, he's done that, uh, with me and I somewhat respect, I, uh, it's probably similar to your sentiment. I love someone that commits to who they are and it just might be a very type, a very different type of role investor versus operator but that commitment of his is very interesting of he'll he probably rescheduled our last hang and we're friends where you know we it's just a casual catch-up i think he even wanted to set it up and it was like canceled maybe two times three times before um before it happened and there is that buffer so let's start there and he openly says that that's that is uh, an optimal way for him to Uh, sees an opportunity that might only present itself, you know, that Tuesday and Wednesday.
1: I have a busier work life than him. I have things come up that are insanely intense sometimes, and I have to deal with them. And one of those came up yesterday. And most people by today wouldn't have it resolved and would cancel this if they have his mentality or whatever else is going on in their day. I believe that's the most disruptive thing you can do for other people and I don't operate like that, I solve problems quickly. I seize opportunities quickly, and I figure those things out quickly. And so the pace that I go at is probably a 100 times faster than his in any situation. And that is the difference. If he's okay with a slow pace, then he can do it his way. I'm not okay with those kind of ways of operating or doing things. And so if something's slow, like And I consider what he, he's thinking, oh, there's a critical thing happening. I need to spend all my energy on it. I'm thinking, oh, there's a critical thing happening. How do I solve it as fast as possible in the best way possible so we can all move on with our lives? Whatever that critical thing is. And there's nothing that sh- I should be doing that takes up that many hours of my day that I have to go cancel meetings with anybody. So if I'm canceling, I, it's not that I feel bad that I'm canceling. It's more like I'm disrupting something for somebody else and I'm not okay with that. So that's that's kind of my attitude about it and my approach Um, and part of it is also reputation like him doing what he does he has a certain reputation and I'm not saying it's good or bad but I can talk to anyone about him and they're gonna bring these kind of things up right away and if that's not how the parties you do business with do business then you're the oddball and you're the one actually adding friction and complication to doing business and I don't want to do that if, if someone wants to do business with me or I need to do business we're getting business done and we're getting it done as efficiently and quickly as possible within reason and, and I think he has just a I whole see, different way of thinking about it
0: well and yeah when I see you on the calendar I'm not wondering um and again I think it actually could work very well for for him but I will say a cost to it, it to someone like that um and it's not every time but let's Take the extreme. Someone that does it every time. The, the sad thing is, you see that on the calendar for the next day, and you're like, "That's probably not even going to happen." And and then that's right. That's the mentality going into that. Yeah, I, that and, and working relationship.
1: I that's I don't I don't believe that's a reputation I want. So I would never do anything remotely close to that. And you know, like I said, all due respect to him and how he wants to roll. I I'm I'm good. Like if I were dealing with him like you are, I'd be like, "Okay, this is how he is." And we'll just deal with it as it comes. So if something's on the counter, let's pencil it in, but consider it penciled in and there'll be an eraser and it's probably going to get erased and that's okay. And, but that, that means that, think about it. That means that if you actually have to do business with the guy and he's willing to go cancel the meeting the next day, and it's some serious stuff you want done, you're probably not going to get it done. And then you don't know how to get a hold of him to get it done. Cause he's, then he's blocked off that day. That's, that's, that's how I believe he works. And so when someone's touting those kind of things and they're that opposite of how I like to treat people, to be honest with you, that's the way I think about this. Then I can't, I can't hear it. And and again, nothing wrong with it. Like he could do that. That's his prerogative. I know, I know a few other people that are similar, not to his extreme. I, I only know one person that's to that extreme. Uh, but like, I don't think that's respectful. I actually think it's disrespectful, and that's not how I want to conduct myself. But if he wants to conduct himself like that, like like I said, like it's not a judgment call. It's just like I, I just can't see people having a normal viewpoint about how to interact with him and now you got to adjust yourself to deal with him and like Mm -hmm. that's that's like something that i would uh be very allergic to if people had to accommodate for me and a lot of this is just personality and attitude and feelings and things like that that like are just different on my end like if i cancel a meeting it has to be a damn good reason that's the way i look at it Mm -hmm. because i set up the meeting don't set up the meeting if you're gonna cancel it. That's the way I look at it. Like, well, then you're wasting everyone's time. And uh, honestly, you're putting something on someone's calendar and times everything. So why would you put something on someone's calendar and then not do it? Because they could have done something else with their time. Mm-hmm. Right, so like that that's just the way I like to operate and I like to deal with myself. But if someone cancels on me, I'm totally fine with it. I don't, I don't even flinch, I'm like, cool. And I try to figure out as quickly as possible, how do I get them rescheduled or figure out what the next step is, you know, or whatever. So it's not out of any kind of judgment on other people or even him for doing what he does, but like it is a, in my opinion, a disrespectful approach to dealing with other people.
0: What's something that you, you mentioned making decisions fast. What's something that you would make a decision on radically quickly that you could understand other people would look at it and say, "Whoa, that was too fast or that was so fast uh, out of the ordinary the fastest
1: decisions that I'm able to make usually have to do with uh, our product and like uh, a thing we're doing. Or, like, so, so, a good example of this is um, the decision makers on engineering on our team have been known to have very quick calls with me. So, they'll, and this happened the other day. This is the first time one of our engineering managers dealt with this. So our head of engineering has uh, one of our engineering managers that works on Nira. uh They were struggling with something because they're like, hey, we're not going to be able to hit that date that I know you've committed to for customers and stuff like that. Uh, we don't know if we can hit it. Can you just get on a quick call so we can just jam this out? Because our head of engineering and I have worked together for 10 years. And then this engineering manager is someone who we um, have a lot of trust in. Let's just put it that way. And so, and he, but he hasn't dealt with a lot of these scenarios with me uh, and us before. So the head of engineering gets on the call, the, the, his name, Steve, and then the, the engineering manager that's running one of our teams gets on the call and Steve's like, Hey, can you, can, can can you just do your thing? I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And so then the engineering manager just explains what he's dealing with. Um, and, uh, and then I just think about it for a couple seconds and then I shoot him an answer and I say, Hey, can you do this? Can you do this in this way so I can still meet that date? He's like, actually, yeah, we can, we can do that. That, that actually works. And we were just stuck on it and we were debating for 30 minutes about it or whatever. Um, now, now I see what Steve was talking about. I'm like, yeah, we're good. Right. He's like, yeah, we're just done. I'm talking like three minutes, seven minutes, five minutes, like not that much time. And it was a pretty major decision on like a a trade-off or something, but really the key there, is like my goal is to unblock the team and if i can get on a call for a few minutes and do that i will do that as quickly as i can because then they're off to the races and they're not blocked anymore so steve knows if they're blocked on engineering and can't figure it out he just needs to find find me which is not very hard to do get on a call and and literally five minutes or less everybody's unblocked and we're moving on and a lot of times it's just like i'm just thinking through the scenario in a different way than they are and i'm not in the weeds and i'm thinking through how do we make this happen while they're mm-hmm. thinking it's not going to happen and that's a very different approach to like that and one work. more time they're thinking about all the problems and why it can't happen i'm taking what they're saying and the criteria and the constraints putting it in my head and then spitting out how do we make this happen and what are the ways we can make it happen so it's a little bit of a different, it's a very nuanced difference, but that difference is how I do things really fast. Because most people get hung up on, and, and I actually had a pretty big insight yesterday on a, a Twitter spaces I did. Uh, I, I randomly pop one up and just say startup AMA and have a bunch of people, they just show up and ask me questions about startups. It's been fun. I've done about three of those. And one one thing I came up with is very related to this, which is about, someone asked me about problem solving. Uh, well, they didn't ask me about problem solving they'd asked me about time and a lot of the topics we're talking about today and we'll probably continue to. But they asked me about, I got into problem solving and basically my thesis is all operating is find problem, solve problem and operating is nothing else. And so when we were talking about problem, they were saying, oh, so how do you do that quickly? Because to me, solving problems quickly is like at the heart of like, I think everything, but so, um, but don't, don't tell my wife Amy that cause like, it'll get me in trouble. Um, but well, like I, basically, well, I... uh, well, well, some, some things aren't problems to solve. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the truth. Right. And so I'm not trying to solve everybody's problems all the time, but I could easily cause that's a, mm-hmm. not even a switch. It's just always on. Uh, so I just need to slow down, shut up sometimes, right? Just listen, which is great. Cause not everyone wants you to solve their problems. I learned this over time. Uh, Uh, My dad's a very good problem solver, as you can probably guess. Um, So the way that I do this is the same way that I solved that problem on the engineering call. Everybody tends to focus on when there's a problem. What happened? How did it happen? And why did it happen? I focus on what is the current state? What is our desired state? And what changes need need to be made to get there? And I don't focus on why or how until the experience of this problem is solved and done and everyone's good, then we can focus on the why and how. And so these engineers were focused on how are we going to make it happen? How are we going to make it happen? Or how did this problem happen or whatever? And I'm just like, wait, we're in the state right now where you say we cannot make this timeline that we've committed to. Okay, I understand. And we're, you know, a few weeks away, so we got some time. That's good. Let me propose a solution that I think gets us to that desired state of that thing happening. And usually it's like you you trade something off and they're just not willing to make the trade off because they can't even think about what to trade off because so they're so caught up in how did this happen? Why did this happen? And I'm just focused on what's the current state and what's the desired state and how do we get there? And, I'm, and, and I got a little challenge on my startup AMA yesterday about it, not in a bad way, but it was like, wait, you do that with big problems, right? I'm like, no, I do that with every problem. I don't care if it's big or small. It's just the cycle time of the problem is just shorter. So if you're talking about a tiny problem like I'm cold right now, I'm not worried about why I'm cold or not. I'm like, I'm cold right now. I don't want to be cold. What change do I make, Do I need to make to not be cold? Oh, close the window. A lot of other people are like, why am I cold? Should I wear? Should I wear another sweater? Should I like, like, like what do I need to do? I'm not or like what that. What caused I'm it? Like, wait. Why
0: is this happening? What, yeah. do we, what do we do to avoid yeah. this in the future? Um, yeah, we'll who, deal with that later. <laughs> That's
1: right. not for now. We're trying to solve a problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it reminds me of um, Alex Schultz, uh, CMO of Facebook, and previously head of he, growth.
1: He's a, he's, a, he's a friend. I am such an Alex Schultz fan. It's yeah. not even funny.
0: He's, he is so, so great. brilliant mind. And One of the yeah. things that I remember him telling me uh, was that you should never mix the conversation of strategy and execution. They're two different conversations. Yeah. And if you yeah. mix strategy and execution, it reminds me of, of this in that you just compartmentalize Like, what is the most important thing right now. And if you, for the example of strategy and execution, if you're brainstorming with the team on, all right, this is uh, for the next six-week six week sprint, for the next 90-day sprint, to the the next two weeks, whatever it is, if you mix strategy and execution, then you're going to just, everybody's going to thrash. You're going to have eight people all thinking through, is that feasible? Is it? And they're going to be, instead of judging the strategies at the right strategy, then saying, okay, our team is actually pretty good at figuring out the execution towards a ambitious strategy and trusting that we're going to have the execution conversation. Second, you mix the two and then you, you're constantly editing down your ambition and by nature editing down your strategy because you think like, well, what if we did, what, what if we ran a thousand feet? For, oh no, we don't have, that That wouldn't work because we got to wait for so-and-so and they're, they're walking so we can't run and it's whatever the strategy is, you mix execution with it or whatever the problem that needs to be solved is you mix kind of the that retrospective of what caused it it's like riding riding a bike like you see a pothole you adjust around it but if you like pull over and you say wow i didn't see that pothole coming in my plans that i drew up for my house whoa i got to go back to the house and figure out how am i going to find all the potholes into what you're saying instead of just like just solve it go around it and you keep going Um, But the the goal is actually to get where you're going, not uh, to do it flawlessly without any problems popping up.
1: Yeah, that's right. You're always going to have problems. And if you need to take a breather every time you have the problem to figure out why the problem happened and try to process it, you're not going to actually solve the problem. And and usually the key is to solve the problem as fast as possible because it's Mm -hmm. a freaking problem. Right. I got to avoid that pothole. You're just going to avoid the pothole and then you can worry about how to avoid the pothole next time. Right. Or whatever it is you need to do. This is an unbelievably nuanced difference that if you if you experience like this whole strategy and tactics mixed together and then you experience the opposite, you never want to go back to the other way. Mm -hmm. And so like even even in conversations like. At my best, I come across smooth and not like an ass. But at my worst, like if someone's getting into both those things at the same time, ooh, like those are the meetings where like, I'm rough because I'm not having it. I'm just, it's a meeting. We need to make decisions. We need to move, we need to execute. We don't need to, you know, sit here and debate. And if we have a debate meeting, let's go not have a meeting. Let's do it some other way is kind of my take. And I think, you know, this this is actually related to this remote work stuff. I believe that people like office environments And crave them because they have gotten used to working in a way where they can be in front of other people in a shared space that's a physical space so they can have their whiteboard, have their discussions, let everyone debate, get everyone's voices heard and things like that because that's the only way they know how to do that and move fast. But it's probably because of this thing that we just talked about, which is they're mixing strategy discussions and tactic discussions and execution discussions all at the same time. Because strategy, tactics, and execution are actually three different things. There's not just two. It's not just strategy and tactics. It's actually strategy, tactics, and execution. And I think that's the piece where you, deter- you should be determining for the purpose of this meeting which of those three are we doing. Because execution would be let's pull up that ad copy. And let's work on it now and hit the go button. That's execution. Tactics is like we're gonna run some Facebook ads or whatever, right? And strategy is we need to run ads, <laughs> right? Or whatever you wanna call it, mm-hmm. that's our strategy. We're gonna run ads to get customers. And then the tactic is we're gonna run Facebook ads. Okay, cool, and the execution is we're gonna set up the ads right now, right? And so those are actually three different things, and oftentimes all three are mixed in the same convo. And, and, that, and most people talk about strategy and tactics being mixed, but a lot of people mix execution in the same kind of uh, conversation. And like this is how office work works, except at, on Alex's teams or where the, the high-performing teams in an org that are very focused on what is this meeting about, what is, this, what is the whole discussion about, and, and really getting down to the heart of it and making sure you're having the right discussion at the right time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex is, is also known within Facebook of he was the fixer. He would go into the teams that were the parts of the company that were struggling. And his team was the SWAT team that would just, that would elevate. There, 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 there's the a reason he's solve, the CMO uh, right now. The team around them. Yeah. Hence him becoming CMO and a uh, C-level executive. He So a brilliant mind on this problem-solving topic. And an example of mixing execution and, and strategy would be that they wanted to get daily active uh, messages up, daily active users on the messaging pr- platform up. That led to them splitting out Messenger from Facebook. Very different conversation. Probably happened pretty quickly, to be honest. Probably it was like, here is the strategy. We need to get these numbers up. Um, it is falling behind other messaging platforms. Therefore, we're not as good as flawless and efficient of a communication that, that's, platform. That's my
1: current state. That's yep. my current, current state, state right there. That's what current I describe state. that as.
0: Yep. Then strategy is let's get this up because it all adds to the the usage creation, engagement of the rest of the platform, whatever it is. Then um, three weeks later, it's, whoa, maybe we should split Messenger out of Facebook. Maybe it's one of the biggest decisions they're going to make over the course of a two, three, four year span, but it is so not in the conversation around what is the strategy and if you had tried to mix that in can not imagine the log jam you'd get into as you're thinking about the strategy. And then you, someone's like, why don't we split messenger out that that would pull the entire mind share into the costs, the pros, the cons, the ramifications of execution, which is so gnarly compared to the consensus. You can actually get around strategy, uh, quite quickly. If you focus on strategy and yet, if you dip your toe into execution, you aren't going to end up with that, that consensus in my experience. That's right. That's right. What is something? You're also an investor advisor in like a hundred plus companies. What's the quickest yeah, decision? it's probably 200 to 250. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. What's the quickest decision? You Just to highlight this, uh, this moving fast, it, it, it reminds me of Charlie Munger um, saying that uh, people talk about compound interest, compounding interest, I think about compounding intuition. I imagine you at 25 weren't able to move this fast so i guess yeah talk to me about you at 25 and then talk to me about the fastest fastest decision you've made with investing which is a perfect kind of uh petri dish of something that people could think about for eight weeks three months to invest in a startup
1: (laughs) yeah um no i was i was this fast from a young age uh because i'm very impatient it's not ADHD or adD from a diagnosed standpoint but it's impatience for me and so that impatience led me to get in a lot of trouble in a lot of areas and because I just wanted to move fast on whatever I'm doing if if I'm in control If I'm not in control and someone wants to move slow I'm, I'm okay with that as long as it's something that I don't care about as much <laughs> to be honest um, so no this this is something that like I I've, I've, I've been in 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 the process of for for since I was probably like before I was a teenager. Um, and, and so, you know, um, the, the, the evolution of this kind of thing it, for, for anybody and, 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 the, and the way of thinking about all this kind of stuff is to really come back to, and again, I, I kind of want to highlight this before we go on, but like, you have to be able to get to the fundamentals of something really, really quickly, and and you know people like Elon Musk call it like first principles because they they really studied physics and stuff like that. I did not. Um, I just call it back to the basics. So when everything start getting complicated or people are confusing all these things, I'm always trying to get back to what's the basic building blocks that everyone's missing that we need to come back to. So you know I think there's a lot of strategies for me at least since back then when I was a kid. Um, where I would just try to think about how to simplify the, the, the situation in a way where it's still accurate, even though I simplified it. Because a lot of times you can simplify something and it's not accurate anymore because there's so many nuances to it, right? So um, I, I feel like that the people that are trying to make decisions at companies and organizations are – very inundated with so much information that their ability to make decisions is completely hampered, almost down to zero. And what I mean by that is that they try to account for everything out there when they're trying to figure out how to move fast or make a decision, um, and, and they're not actually able to think clearly. And so if I were to say, hey, for everybody listening... What, what's going on when it comes to making decisions quickly and problem solving quickly and, and how do you actually do it effectively is you try to cut cut past and through all the possible noise in a scenario um, and you try to get to what are the basic building blocks of that scenario? What is the... How do we get back to basics? So it's basically like I believe that everything is actually extremely simple and basic and that's the belief that you cannot change my mind on because every time I found something complicated, whether it's with enough time, which is not my style or enough actual processing in your brain about the problem or the situation, you can get to the basics of it, regardless of how complicated it seems early on. And I'm always just trying to get the information that gets me that answer and to any problem, any situation, which and the answer is what is the, what are the basic building blocks of this? And so in that scenario of like talking to an engineer about whatever they're dealing with, I'm, if I'm not up to speed yet, I'm making them tell me, well, what's the scenario? What's going on? And then they start talking and then I ask a bunch of questions and then I repeat back to them, oh, so let me just describe what I'm hearing. And I give them the basic basics of it. And if they agree, then everything we do next is much easier because we're building up with a common understanding of something very simple and basic that everything can be boiled down to. And I'm not trying to simplify and oversimplify. I'm just trying to clarify. And the only way to clarify in my mind and in in, in a conversation is get down to the basic building blocks of what you're talking about. So one thing I didn't hit on, which I think is super valuable, and and I I almost did, which is I don't manage my time. I manage my energy. And the way I do that, and I don't think we've talked about this deeply yet, is is something because like you were talking about meetings. So I'm going to bring it back to that for a sec. And you're saying, you know, I can't, you know, I can't be in 15 meetings a day or anything. How do you do it? I have over time learned that if I'm in a meeting or a conversation or any interaction, I'm assessing after it, not during, because I think during is a little tricky, although I've gotten to being able to do it during and be able to shift things, which is so much fun. But did that experience give me energy or did it deplete energy? There's nothing that's neutral in life when it comes to your energy. Either things are giving you energy or they're depleting it. The only thing is neutral is is when you sleep and you're not having a nightmare. <laughs> you know, um, otherwise everything's pretty like bin- uh, binary, one way or another. Which is, did it give you energy or did you lose energy after it? And if things, the more things I do that cause me to lose energy after it, the less likely I am to be doing them again. And so every meeting, I'm trying to assess that. And so, for example, this is how I made our demos at Nira when I do them just extremely energetic and high, high energy. One of the reasons is most demos people do have slides and we're selling to IT and security folks who hate slides in demos, because they're just used to it and they, they just drone out. So what we do is when we get on the call, We say a couple things. We're like, hey, all we're going to do. Well, first, you know, the normal sales stuff like, hey, do you still have 30 minutes today? Because then you get them to say yes, which is really important, right? Because now they're in a positive mood. This person respects my time, blah, blah, blah. So we always do that. And obviously we want to respect their time. And sometimes we even tell them if we know that they're like a more busy org or busy whatever, we're like, hey, we'll try to get you out in 20 minutes, not 30, Right. So that sets the stage of how fast we're gonna move and how efficient we're gonna be with our time. And so they're already in that mode, which is what the mode we want them to be in. Then we say, hey, we don't have any slides. We've just got a few questions and then we're gonna jump right into a live demo and we're gonna be contextual and show you the things related to the answers you gave us when we asked you those questions. And so then we ask two or three questions about like their current state, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then we basically go through the demo, which is basically will hit on all the desired states that they're looking for. And then, and that's like literally maybe two, three minutes in the beginning, then another seven to 10 minutes. Sometimes people ask questions, so it could be up to 15, but usually it's 10 minute or less demo. So we're at about the 15 minute mark. And then at the end, it's just about, okay, how are we gonna get you there? And it's not quite said about current state, desired state and change, like as I described it, but that's exactly what the calls are about and how we do it. And so what I've learned is by the end of that, most of the people we talk to are either saying it or thinking it and what they're saying or thinking is this is the best demo i've seen recently our product demos well too so that helps but outside of that like this process is, is 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 designed around giving them more energy after the meeting not less and giving myself more energy so i can do 50 of these a day if i had to so i just wanted to get back to that like if you are having struggles in meetings and feel like these meetings are useless or feel like you're you know, tired after all your meetings or whatever. A lot of people come to the conclusion that they're introverts or whatever. And again, this goes back to what I was saying. That's not the basic building block. The basic building block isn't I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert. No, the basic building block is am I getting energy from these things I'm doing or am I losing it after these meetings? Because if you lose, lose energy in one meeting, the next meeting is not going to be as great. And then the third meeting is not going to be as great. And then the fourth meeting you have is not going to be as great. And then by then you're like, damn, I got four more meetings today. Can I even get through them? I never want to have a day like that. That's not okay. Because then I can't keep going. I can't keep doing what I want to do or what I love to do. So I'm just trying to gauge, did it give me energy? Did it not? And if it did, then I'm going to find a way to do more of it or keep it going. And if it didn't, I'm going to find some tweaks to it. And now I can do that in a meeting. At my best, I can do it right in a meeting where, oh, this is not good. I'm depleting my energy. Okay. Instead of checking out, I get more active to figure out the basic building blocks of what's going on in that meeting and how do I flip it? What do I got to say? Who do I got to talk to? How do I have to like frame something so that everyone gets energy back? Because it's likely if I'm depleting my energy, the other party is as well during that mm-hmm. meeting. Very likely. Not always the case, but it's very likely.
0: This episode is brought to you by a little sipper called magic mind ever wake up in the morning wondering what am i doing with my life well what you probably aren't doing is sipping on the magic minds magic mind is a two ounce shot matcha nootropics adaptogens functional mushrooms everything in a morning ritual drink that you've ever wanted you take it alongside your morning coffee or tea and you get seven hours of creative productive flow it has 12 magical ingredients that all combine for everything you'd want in a shot. Energy, cognition, de-stressing, immunity, support, everything in this 2-ounce beautiful shot that tastes delicioso. So go check it out, magicmind.co. Enter promo code BTL. That's BTL for below the line for 20% off. Magicmind.co. Go check it out and get them sippers. And now I want to tell you about our friends at AppSumo. AppSumo is the number 1 digital marketplace for entrepreneurs and they are running a huge giveaway right now, a million dollar Black Friday giveaway. Get your name in front of 1 million entrepreneurs, founders, affiliate marketers and small businesses. Sell your software, ebook, PDF, template library, online course, your plugin, extension, even event tickets. And you can do that during this pretty killer giveaway. They're giving away their entire $1 million Black Friday marketing budget. Instead of paying for promotion elsewhere, they're going to give it to you all, the creators, the entrepreneurs on AppSumo. List your product on AppSumo between September 15th and November 17th. So between September 15th and November 17th, the first 400 to go live get $1,000. The next 2000 To list a product, course, extension, anything you want to sell, will get $250. And everyone who lists during that time gets entered to be one of 10 lucky winners of 10K. So they're giving away a lot to the entrepreneurs that use AppSumo and not spending it on a marketing campaign. Go to AppSumo.com slash BFF. That's A-P-P-Sumo, S-U-M-O dot com slash bff for black friday fund go check them out a counterpoint to that and maybe a third counter to uh to the person we spoke about before that will just cancel meetings i just don't do meetings as a friend i want to get your take on this i just don't do meetings um I'll, i'll do maybe four five a week and i love the long form deep creative work that i get to do for magic mind for this podcast and this, I don't even think of this as a meeting. This is a two hours blocked off for conversation and, and it's not a meeting, which I think is a conversation for some extraneous goal. This, this is the goal. The means is the end to me like this. This is the goal. So it's a, it is an experience, not a meeting, but I, I push everyone to loom. And it is a buffer. It is. I know that I'm gonna uh, asynchronous. Loom is a asynchronous uh, video recording tool, and and so I'm I just, especially as a investor, I'm inundated with fifteen deals a day, and and I'll ask entrepreneurs, can you send me a demo, an overview, um, the pitch via Loom, and I'll lose out on meetings. I'll lose okay. out on uh, opportunities, but I don't. My goal is kind of life design, not. Uh, financial or or uh yeah and and so i have
1: two opinions one i'll I'll get back to your original question about funding and how fast i've done it because you're you're gonna laugh um but you're managing your time and 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 i think you're managing your energy by managing your time i manage my energy by managing my energy not managing my time so that, that would be my throwback to you which is like you found a way to manage your energy by managing your time and i i don't have the same ability that you do today i I used to be where you were where i would just have no meetings or have whatever meetings i wanted to and i wouldn't call them meetings because i didn't have a company to operate that was like a company that's like you know we raise money and like we're trying to grow fast and stuff like that not that magic mind isn't a company to operate but no no it is an anti-company it is
0: built to be an anti-company you you just
1: built it a certain way right and and i have i actually have three or four of those as well uh, that I don't have to spend time on in that way, but I have a lot of energy for when I do have to dig into them or dive in because you know I've just designed it that way. So I, I, understand, I understand that, but I think uh, in an operator scenario where it's more traditional, for lack of a better word, um, you don't have a choice but to be in meetings, and you want to make those meetings great. So that, that's kind of the way I think about it. So I would say that I wonder what would happen if you decided to manage your energy, not your time. Because you've, you're doing it by managing your, you're managing your energy by managing your time. But if you just manage your energy, I wonder if that would change anything. It might not, though.
0: Yeah, I, I, let's see. So I surf like three times a week. Spend so much time with my two daughters. I, I actually don't know whether I work 20 hours a week or 70 because I'm wicked fast on email. I have no idea. I used to say months ago, I'd say like, I yeah, really only work maybe 30 hours a week. But now I, I'm, if I'm replying to an email to you on, you know, within three minutes on a Saturday, maybe not that fast on the weekend, but just casually does that work. I don't know. Yeah. Just, does it count? Like, is yeah, that does time? That count? and, uh, and, and certainly thinking through problems on the investing side, problems on magic mind all the time. I love that stuff and going deep on like right now we're designing something really fun, really cool. And I just, that's my energy uh generator is doing those things not so much uh a 30 minute meeting where i can't do any i can't get into flow 30 minutes before takes 30 minutes after to get back into flow for that long form deep work it's for the where i am it that is i think a terrible it'll, it'll kill the whole afternoon for me um maybe not an afternoon certainly an hour and a half for that 30-minute meeting that with loom and asynchronous tools i now have just seen that's a seven minute exchange and it can be done asynchronously and i'm continually surprised by how little how few interactions do require a meeting. we still have a one hour kickoff meeting every week but so few uh of the meetings that i would have thought no brainstorm you really need it. it's dynamic it's high con- con- conversant uh back and forth it really needs to be synchronous and now i've seen i i actually think it's a low low fidelity low quality form of communication on something that is back and forth the more back and forth the more maybe sit with it for three hours before yeah you the respond. better you do it
1: async the better you do it on video and writing um you know, I'll I'll share a secret. I don't actually like looms and I don't like videos and I don't like all that. I'd rather read something personally. Like I'll I'll take those, but like, I think that I have to two X them because I can't. Oh, I two X every
0: single one of them. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's good, but reading, I'm so much faster at reading Mm -hmm. so much faster. Also the ability to think when I read is much different than when I'm watching a loom. Mm -hmm. I realize that about myself. I don't mind them by, by all means, but I prefer people writing things. So to answer your question about how fast have I kind of committed to a deal? Yeah. Um, there's a couple deals recently, a couple startups uh, that I invested in that the I got I got the intro, and my reply back was I'll put in this much money. Um, some comment about their business because I want to be thoughtful and give them why <laughs> I'm doing it, at least to make sense of something that doesn't make any sense. Um, and then, and then the last thing is if you want to hop on a call or talk to me or anything like that, happy to do it. But I'm a small check cause I usually am a pretty small check and you probably have bigger fish to fry. So let me know when you fried those fish and then we can, and then we can, you know, hang or whatever. I can help you with whatever you need. Cause usually people want me cause they want, they want to talk about something or get some advice on something or something like that. And that's usually why I got the intro, um, for investing or whatever, but usually it's things that are not immediately relevant to them. It's something that they need to talk to me about a little bit later, like after they've done their fundraising because usually they're in the middle of fundraising and I, I know how that is. So yeah, I,
0: I tend to- So that I'm, quickly in an intro, in the intro. Yeah, intro you know. comes
1: in, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, this is great, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Because like these days, like a lot of people have great backgrounds that are starting companies, like amazing backgrounds that are just accessible really quickly. And if they don't, then I'm just assessing what they've done so far and I'm able to make a decision pretty quickly. And if I can make it, without talking to them because it was a trusted referral or something like that, why do I need to waste anyone's time to get on a call or do anything like that, uh, my own or theirs? And But again, I'm a small check. I'm like 10K, 25K, 50K, 100K max, and like I also don't, you know, I'm, I keep threatening myself to just stop doing it. Uh, not because yeah. I'm slow or I'm fast, but just because oddly the investing part, of helping companies gives me very little energy. Mm-hmm. Probably a depletion for me at this
0: point. Well, to underscore something that you said, why get on a call if it's a waste for them and you? And I think that un- that is tied to this idea that a meeting is always valuable. And and to what you're what you're saying especially in investing but in so many forms of communication a meeting actually could be quite low low value for sales pitches for what you're doing with nira that's actually that is can be extremely Most valuable value. thing i can do right yeah for uh where you're gathering information you jumping into a call with someone is probably going to be one of the worst ways for you to gather information from right. them uh, for them as well the you know a ceo that just has to remember 73 different kpis for when you ask him versus if you can email them to or better yet they put it in the materials that they send you in the intro e- thread so much more communicative so much more uh, illustrative of the opportunity than than a meeting which yeah 15 and you, years also, ago, you also get to see you
1: also get to see how they think mm-hmm. when they write it that's why I don't like the looms actually on any of this stuff personally because if they're writing it I get to see their thinking when they're when, when they write something versus a loom where I just get to hear them which to me is actually, frankly, not as interesting. The reason I say that is like, there's certain things I'm very adamant about. I think remote work has made me very adamant about this, but like, and I've ranted on Twitter about this, but like, I believe every startup should be sending monthly updates on the dot, like at a very consistent interval. So we send our monthly updates on the first Monday of the month. If that first Monday is like, you know, days in, in that's fine, right, to the month, but it's always a first Monday, you're gonna get an email at 8 a.m., I don't care what's going on. I don't care if it's a holiday. If you're an investor, you're gonna get an email at 8 a.m. and it's gonna be the update for the last month from us, no matter what. And we have a process where, you know, and and again, there's one coming up where by the time Friday hits, we're already working on it. And then we're doing some reviews on Saturday and Sunday and then I'm scheduling all the emails uh, to be sent out and I also manually make all of them. Uh, Most of them are not customized frankly, but like I make all of them and I send them personally and there's, we have a ton of investors now and I, I, it blows my mind that people don't do that. And so my way of understanding this business, I want to know how they write about it. I want to know how they describe it. I want to know how they communicate about it to investors like me. And I care very little about anything else as an investor. I just want to know how do they communicate what's going on in their business how clear are they, what are the challenges they have with communicating it, which usually you can figure out when you look at an investor update and all those kinds of things. That's where like my mojo is uh, for kind of investing as well as being a founder myself. It blows my mind when I tweet about this and people tell me they think it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most valuable thing you can do for your business when it comes to investor relations or communicating with stakeholders that are not day-to-day in the company
0: the uh the other thing that's that's worth underscoring that you're saying is is that you can read so much more about a, what that founder has done before see what they've done in 2021 in that that intro than than you ever you know, 15 years ago maybe you do need that coffee to listen to. they don't have yeah. linkedin they don't have yep. github they don't have their their previous uh it's
1: worse it's worse actually It's, it's not just that i think it's worse and what's worse is investors have or had gotten used to needing to see you face to face to be able to trust you to give you money that's actually the reason all these investors wanted to meet with people face to face this is also the reason why international at least u.s investors investing internationally was not quite a big thing until like 15 years ago or something like that mm-hmm. or even 10 years ago there are a few people that started that trend and like one so to speak like made a lot of money uh, invested in great companies that turned into massive public companies and stuff like that that were not in the u.s originally and it's because those folks were actually flying out to the other countries and meeting these founders in person mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: instead of the other way around
0: okay so jumping into remote work And this, uh, what does a remote work utopia look like? And then the counter would be um, that I'd love to discuss with you afterwards, is what is the remote work dystopia look like? Not everybody's house is on fire and family members dying, but the the dystopia that they think they're doing it right, but... There is a misunderstanding of the 15 people, 30 people, 300 people in their company, and it's dystopic. So let's start with the utopia. What, is it, what does it look like in Heaton Shaw's viewpoint?
1: Yeah. Um, the utopia is when people have freedom of time in the company. What that means is they work when they want to work and the outcomes are very clear and the expectations of their job and their role is very clear. That's utopia. There's nothing more to utopia than that because what we don't get at work, what we never got at school is control of our time. Most people don't get control of their time at work, partly because of meetings, partly because of commutes, partly because they have to go into office or they had to go into office and like have a certain structure and sit at a desk and you know everyone else was watching, so to speak too. And there's this kind of collective community inside the culture within the culture of the company and there's all these norms and things like that that added more cognitive load that don't have to actually do with the work for example dinner served at seven not six and that's because they want the company wants people to stay past six right this is like common tactics especially in tech um that's just an example i'm not sure if any Mm -hmm. company's still doing that but like that was definitely happening before uh breakfast is at seven and by the time you hit eight there's no more breakfast. So that causes people to come in earlier, Mm -hmm. right? And there were a lot of these tactics and tricks that companies did and probably still could do and would do um, that lowers your freedom of time because you're told to clock in at a certain time and leave at a certain time. Obviously, if you have a job where that's a requirement, I'm not knocking that, but usually that job is not a job that works for remote work or is one where you could work remotely. But there's a lot of jobs where you could work remotely, but because there's an office, And the overhead of an office and the norms and culture, you know, that's what happens. Like, for example, you don't ever get asked on a remote team, you know, if you're going to be late to work tomorrow. You just don't because nobody cares. Like, as long as you're in that meeting that you're supposed to be, you know, or you're communicative about not being able to be in the meeting, that's cool. But no one's sitting here and saying, watching you walk in late. No one's sitting here watch you walk in knowing you had a terrible night because you got drunk or whatever, right? Like, or whatever happened to you. So it's almost like we get to keep our personal lives personal. I think that's a big freedom of time thing. If you want to, in the middle of the day, go pick up your kids every day, as long as everyone in the company knows that that's what you're not, that's what you're doing, but you're not available at that time. Everyone's good because your availability is not, you're not available at that time. It's pretty simple. While you couldn't do that in an office job for many reasons. One, your commute probably puts you too far away from taking kids to school. Two, um, it would be really weird for you to leave in the middle of the day and then come back. That's just not normal. Like, how, how could you do that? No one else is leaving and coming back. But in a remote environment, this utopia, if, as you say it, you, you get an extreme freedom of time, which comes with it an extreme amount of responsibility, frankly. Because now you, ha- you are responsible for your time. You are responsible for the work you do. No one is telling you when to work and or what to work on or anything like that in the same way as an office space. So I think that's the utopia. I can keep going about what that means and the implications, but the utopia is pretty basic and simple to me, which is everyone gets freedom of time to do work when they can work, when they want to work, as long as the outcomes and expectations are clear for them. So this is where remote work goes wrong is because a lot of people try to have the same kind of outcomes and expectations and way of communicating them that they do in uh, in an office environment, which is just completely different because you get to talk to people more often. Um, you get to have those hallway conversations and things like that. And in a remote environment, it, the work isn't about that. It's not about these random hallway convos. It's not about like people visibly able to see that you're working and sitting at your desk and stuff like that. This is a completely different world. And I know there's all kinds of... <laughs> I'm laughing because it's just, I think all of them are silly at this point, but there's all kinds of tools about presence and like being synchronous during remote work. This stuff cracks me up, James, like, like no offense to anybody working on those problems. I get that there's need there and I get that humans want that, but it is, it is absurd that we're trying to recreate office environments in remote work. No, remote work is about freedom of time. That's the utopia. And that's what every team member gets. And of course, you know, there are challenges with that, that we can talk about that I, totally always aggressively trying to squash or make sure it never happen at my companies but like i've seen them at other remote companies and and it, 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 it's bad the challenges so we can get into the dystopia but i, I want to make sure you get your utopia take from me at least
0: i think it's First. a brilliantly simple one of freedom of time the uh one of the one of the most profound thoughts i ever came across is this development economist amartya Sen that wrote a book um, he's Nobel prize winner for the concept of wealth defined as freedom, not as bank account, not as any financial factor, but wealth is freedom and coined the phrase wealth as freedom. And I think that that's sounds like what you're saying is, is in the short term, we want to optimize your freedom of your time, really your freedom of your tactics to get your work done, to hit those, uh, the outputs that we collectively are deciding on so that you almost get this nice, beautiful short-term freedom that also ladders up, importantly, to long-term freedom. The company hits its goals. It unlocks not only more of your days. You get to do what you, I mean, company that's shutting its doors, didn't matter how much free time you had leading up to that. You now are going going to potentially find yourself in a dystopic company. But if that utopia has a you know expiration date to it, then it's not necessarily a utopia anyone wants to move to. But that short-term freedom can ladder up to that long-term freedom with that negotiation between the two of freedom of your time and your tactics, whatever you want to do to hit these collective goals.
1: If someone does their best work 6 p.m. to midnight, who am I... To judge them for that or tell them they can't do things like that Why I don't care if they can get their job done in two or three hours of deep work a day and the expectations and outcomes are happening Yeah, sure. Maybe we should give them more work, right? And Maybe they can do more than we thought but that's a different problem But at the end of the day if they can do that, that's their business. They should that's cool like like in my company if you can get your work done in that amount of time there's either t- one, you're just really, really, really good, good for you, or two, we're not giving you enough stuff for your capabilities, which means you should be promoted or get more responsibility, depending on what the scenario is. And that's the way I look at it. I think I haven't heard people who have office culture think like that. I think they want every they want butts and seats. I don't really care about the butts and seats. I'm sitting on a beanbag. My butt's in a beanbag. So um, I. I I think this freedom of time is like the underscoring of of remote work and even hybrid work, as you were kind of mentioning early on, like we're going to see some silly things happen with that most likely. Okay. Yeah.
0: And and as a nice segue to the dystopia, I would love for you to touch on the silly things, uh, but real quick to round that out. um, What are your views on synchronous versus asynchronous? We touched on meetings, which again, many of those are external CEO head of sales. It has to be there, but internally synchronous or asynchronous
1: i think that synchronous has a time and place in a remote environment and asynchronous is the norm and it's usually the opposite in an office it's typical office culture where synchronous is how everyone's getting stuff done because they're there at the same time and able to huddle and do this that and other. in a remote environment You could have people that are working all across the world that aren't even awake when you're working so asynchronous is really important yes there's some pitfalls for sure like if something needs to be done and you don't have enough coverage across the world and it's an urgent thing someone's either working non-work hours if you want to call it that or um you know you have that solved because you have enough spread across the world and so we try to have enough spread across the world so that even for urgent things it's getting taken care of, or there's a rotation of somebody being on call uh, during non-standard work hours, if need be. Usually it's our head of engineering or some of the leadership that is taking the brunt of those kind of responsibilities. But that, that is a little bit of a trade-off that I do want to mention, which is like, yeah, time zones come into play. A lot of people are very particular about what time zones they hire in because they do a lot of synchronous work in remote environments. Um, our Our bend is to do asynchronous work, not synchronous work. And the synchronous work has a time and place and it, we're more than happy to do it when necessary or need it. Usually it's like these quick calls or the like you were saying, like, you know, uh, you were mentioning your kickoff meeting every week or whatever it may be. Yeah, there's a bunch of those that happen, you know, and they're regular meetings and those are synchronous because, you know, people do want to meet and all that. We're not, I'd say it the way I think about this, I'm not as um, don't talk to me or don't have synchronous meetings the way maybe it comes across a base camp. And those folks are, and a bunch of other folks out there. Uh, but if it can be asynchronous, we're going to try to make it asynchronous as much as possible because that just tends to be better for everybody.
0: Hmm. Okay. What are some of the? You mentioned the silly things companies are doing that, that in your viewpoint, um, I don't think it's just a opinion. I think you're you're seeing it, and you're like, you probably have tried that seven years ago, eleven years, and you're you. So that's some of uh, the context that I that I would put into when you call something silly, it's probably out of your own mistakes. You're like, that will not last. And then maybe maybe some are just abject silly. You wouldn't have ever tried it. What are some of the things that these companies that are moving into this world trying that that you, that you strike you as just very silly and, and backwards?
1: I get, this is not as silly, but it's kind of interesting. I get that companies want people to come into the office because they have an office. and i haven't really heard a good reason why we should have hybrid work environments at this point that makes sense to me it seems like a lot of executives and managers don't have as much clarity or empathy for what the folks that are they're managing and their reports are kind of dealing with on a day-to-day basis um so for example if everyone has to come into work on the same day i personally think that's kind of silly and I know that sounds maybe a little outrageous, but like you're optimizing for executives and managers, not necessarily the individual who might not like that day might not work for them anymore. I don't know why, but I've seen this and I think it is silly, but well, I makes think it's them, necessary it makes them too. stay
0: within two hours, an hour of the office and they could have moved back. You know, it's, it, there's a lot of a uh, lot of cost to that leash.
1: Yeah, so then it's like, and and so what happened is, and this is, again, back to the the hell of 2020 for most people, um, and I think we've gotten out of it in 2021 because we've just gotten used to all these things, but like, people got used to remote work, and they moved. And and so here's what's happening, and this has been happening, and, and it's not silly, it's just the nature of our current state of the world. Companies are not... Employees are demanding basically clarity. When do we have to come back to work in the office? And what are the rules? And the companies are a little bit unclear about when people are going to have to come back. And they keep moving the ball forward probably because they they, they, they claim a date, <laughs> And then, obviously, COVID stuff, Delta variant. Now there's a new variant. I forgot what it's called, Moo or Mu or something. I don't remember. Uh, but there's a new one now, apparently. Uh, so this thing's going to be with us, it's
0: right? Wait till people and check this, out Theta. I'm yeah, calling Theta yeah, the I, I, big do Exactly. I don't, I don't know the
1: new one. I think it's yeah. Moo, but I might yeah. be wrong. But anyway, yeah. Um, so... So this keeps happening, right? The world keeps – like this this problem of COVID and, and the situation keeps perpetuating and new information comes out and new things. And obviously there's vaccines and stuff and like there's some – it seems like things have not calmed down but are baselining now to some extent. But but who knows? So then Google or Facebook or whatever big company, Okta, whoever is like, oh, everyone has to come to work at this time or for this day or whatever. Um, and um, they're basically – stringing the, the employees on, but the employees might've moved way further out, might've moved to other, other states because they were unable to. And then now what are they gonna do? Are they gonna move back? Like wh- wh- what is this What is this situation? Like what's the, what's the deal? And because we were in so much flux and we continue to be, I think that like this hybrid work idea, if it's about demanding that someone comes into work at a certain day, it's just gonna cause a bunch of upheaval. And, get, and here's the thing, James, Oh, my God, this is the thing. Everybody I talked to in Q1 and Q2 of this year that is an operator was extremely concerned about the high employee churn. Every single person I talked to. So basically, I think it's silly that we have a lack of clarity and all of a sudden everyone's churning from their businesses. Everyone's going, trying to find new jobs that can accommodate what whatever their needs are. And these are new needs because before they were used to going in the office every day. But then they moved because of COVID. And in a lot of times it's like very personal reasons. Back to the freedom of time and all that. I want to be closer to my family. I want to be closer to my parents. Like you have like uncontrollable emotion and that causing a lot of this movement because people are dying and people are realizing that family... And spending time with them like we might not have the time and this is like a deeply emotional thing for people and then they move and then you're telling them they got to move back when no they moved and they moved for very good reason and now you're telling them they have to come to an office that's other states away or far away or whatever it may be what do you think they're gonna do the second you start telling them stuff like that they're gonna go look for another job and go get it that can accommodate what they're looking for and they might even take pay cuts and stuff because all of a sudden this value of time with family is so much more important than the work you're doing or the money you're making. I, I'll bet a, a, a very large amount of people are in that type of scenario right now.
0: Wealth has freedom and people have just fallen into in many ways more wealth than they've ever had in their professional lives, in their lives. I mean, even school, yeah. Shit, school like you touched yeah. on, you didn't manage your time. You had very little freedom when you were sixteen, in ninth grade. The um, the the next topic is this dystopia. What is the dystopic company look like? And maybe walk me through a day uh, in a dystopic company, um, and and then touch in a uh, touch on. And this again, this is a dystopia company, smart leaders, smart executives, not the obvious like anyone could just pitch a, a, a ridiculous example, a company that thinks they're operating smartly, but they're you know, maybe a year into this whole remote work world that you're 18 years into. What does that day look like?
1: I think most people are in a lot of Zoom meetings. I think the day is full of Zoom fatigue for most of the employees, and I don't think it's ended yet from what I can tell. And the simple, you know, issue is that people love to have their video on. You just don't need to have your video on, and you can drop Zoom fatigue by quite a bit, like, mm. like hugely. And I think that's something that is kind of demanded by a lot of executives and leadership. I think there's a lot of things that where the executives are optimizing for themselves and not for their team. That is the the biggest. Uh, culprit or or biggest reason catalyst for the dystopia and and all these issues, because all of a sudden the manager can't go walk up to someone's desk and talk to them. They can't call a meeting into a conference room like at a moment's notice, because, you know, a lot of managers and executives operate in that way because they're trying to solve for whatever their problems are. And so in a remote environment, they're just creating more noise, more meetings, and then they wonder why people aren't getting their work done. Well, if people are in meetings all day, they can't get their work done. If you're dragging engineers into meetings, which I've seen happen, that they don't want to be in, then they're not going to get their work done. And as you mentioned, like some of the deep work takes 30 minutes to get into it and 30 minutes to cool off of it. Right. And things like that. So then you're basically interrupting their work. So I think there's a lack of understanding of what someone's day to day job is in an ideal scenario and what they should be doing. And instead meetings are being poured on and a lot of those meetings are just update meetings to update the executives on things that are going on. And they're not exactly about some of the things we mentioned earlier, which are more tactical meetings or more meetings that are designed to make decisions. Um, and I'm seeing that a lot more. Part of the reason I think is like executives are used to the office and they're used to having things the way they were. And now they're trying to figure out how do we do the same things in the, as close to the same ways as possible in a remote environment where we're sitting here talking on a, in a, within a, you know, talking to each other from a screen. And like, that has a lot of implications. The amount of people that are late to meetings is pretty, has gone up. I'm 100% sure of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that. What are
0: some of the other dystopic it, things that? that uh, yeah, uh, are leading to this churn in these companies in this kind of limbo mode, doing it poorly.
1: I like to root cause it. And I think it's like a lack of clarity about what's going to happen in the future. I think that's like the number one thing. I know. Amen.
0: I think all of these companies in this limbo, like you know, we might be back in our San Francisco office, our New York office, our London office. We might be back in, in uh, whatever the month, April, And moving the goalposts for two years in a row, that cost is way more than just being like, we are not going to choose a date, move wherever you want. We cannot guarantee that we don't go back to the office, but I'm going to give you clarity in the short to medium term. We're remote. Or even tell them,
1: no matter when we do it, we're going to give you six months leeway to figure it out and take care of you, almost like a relocation when you join a job. Right? You you just have to like I don't know honestly James like I'm with you like this stuff blows my mind because it's just logical like it's just problem solving and it's basic it's like go think about your customer in this case the customer's employees and go figure out what the hell is going on with them and then go solve for that well one yeah okay fine I get it like I might need to come back to the office okay cool well two give me enough time and help compensate me if if needed so that this can be easy for me. And these companies we're talking about are companies with lots of money. So it's not the money. It's definitely not the budget, not the money. And they're saving it right now by not having those offices fully lit up, right? So something's just going on where I feel like there's a complete lack of understanding and empathy on that level compared to the team member level. And that's what's causing a lot of this dystopia bullshit. Cause like, it's pretty simple. Just be clear. And if, you're, if you can't be clear, or, I mean, not clear, but if you're uncertain, then do what you just said, which is talk about that uncertainty and just say, we're not going to know, but here's what we're going to do when we do know. And that's important. So you kind of need a plan that's that's a, not a non-plan, but clarity. Because, look, if, so, if you tell someone, hey, you can move wherever you want, and we're not going to make you move back at a moment's notice, and we're actually going to give you this amount of time. That's better than doing what they're doing right now from what I see out there. Um, what's better, even better than that is, hey… You can work from wherever you are. It just doesn't matter anymore. That's the best. Until what are what are employees doing? They're finding jobs that are like you can work from wherever you want. Nobody cares.
0: Right. They're finding jobs where there's that clarity, and specifically they're finding jobs where is the fosters this this new wealth of freedom that they have. That each company, to your point, that doesn't recognize it because of a lack of trust, a lack of oversight, whatever the that that reason and once you get a
1: taste of this freedom oh
0: like, yeah talk to me talk to me about ruined. that because you, you're ruined you, dude you don't you you i remember you telling me a stat one time of you know people it's an adjustment period but after six months this is before the pandemic happened um yeah that's right what was the stat of It was something like after six months the amount of people that now prefer this new mode of of working um and won't yeah, go I, back. I don't, I
1: don't, I don't, I don't remember the stats, but we did a whole study and that was pre, pre all this stuff. And even back then, um, the, uh, the, the, the ideology and the way it worked was like people, like a lot of people, once they experience the freedom, they don't want to go back. And, and I don't remember if I had an amount of time, but there's a lot of stats on, uh, that we had on remote work satisfaction. And yeah, we I were shocked by like how satisfied people were with it.
0: And, and Jake, you can add the link to this to the show notes uh, where I might get this wrong. So just add an asterisk to, to correct it. But I think it was something like 71% after six months, 71%, 74% prefer it and do not want to go back.
1: Yeah. Let me give you a whole bunch of stats that I do have. It's the remote work report Please. we created back then. 91% of remote workers said working remotely is a good fit for them. Um, when was 96- this and how many people? This was about 500 people, and it was now probably 2019, frankly, so pre-pandemic for sure. Ninety-six um, percent of remote workers would re- recommend working remotely to a friend. So that was another big one that we saw. Um, let me see if I've got the other data in
0: here. And were these 500 people currently working remote or just? We, they we, were had, we, we had
1: a we had a we had a we had a solid mix, um, okay. like. When we asked, "Does anyone on your team work remotely 100% of the time?" 69% said yes, and 31% said no. Just to give you some context mm-hmm. on that. Okay. Um, let's see. Number one challenge with the remote work. Again, you're bringing up a lot of old stuff, but this is good. Uh, communication <laughs> to the kind of ironic point that we were going after. And uh, and to interject there to
0: Here. ask, what if the dystopic is meetings and distrust? What does what would Nira do instead of a uh, a meeting. What do you tactically specifically do to uh, improve that communication point?
1: What do we do around communication? Um, that's, you know, a really good question. Uh, by the way, the dystopia can be, can be in Slack. Slack is one of the biggest indicators of the dystopia. Um, I fucking hate Slack. I fucking hate Slack. It's, uh, and and here's my, my
0: uh, viewpoint on it is, um, the i want people to text me uh so we use iMessage we're a small team uh but it's uh i i want people to text me slack is like not even your office door is open you're just at the water cooler psychologically anyone can hit you up at any point in time we don't use slack i hate slack and it's when you tell people if it's urgent text me that's like you're permanently operating with your door closed in your office people can get you urgently they can knock they can open the door if it's urgent 24 7 it's any time of the day in your i message but there's a there's a tiny bit of a of a price that that everyone knows interaction 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 price where they just know like okay i'm gonna text james on his personal phone
1: so it's amazing that that th- th- that is exactly how we use Slack. We don't have s- channel sprawl at all. We don't have people pinging in random channels all the time. Like maybe once or twice a week, someone pings something random in the, you know, random channel or whatever channel it is in our team. I don't even know the name of it. That's how often I go into it. Um, general channel is usually crickets, and that's a good thing. It's usually me posting our latest investor update or latest company something um, or someone else saying something that's meant for general. Usually it's like compliance or some crap like that. Uh, like someone else, you know, people have to do this, some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, we we don't treat Slack like I've seen all, a lot of other companies where like it's a it's a buzzing Slack. So a lot of remote work people consider like an active Slack, like a big thing and something that you need. We, we don't do that. We, we, we I don't know. I wish I could tell you how we've done this, like and, and done it like this, but like it's just cultural. You just don't, you don't, you just don't get in our slacks and see a lot of people communicating in public channels. You see, you probably see a lot of texting going on uh, in the internal channels. I haven't looked at the stats or anything. I don't care to, but like it's a lot more of what you're saying, which is like, are you blocked? Oh yeah, then hit me up all day. <laughs> I'll help you out, right? Are you not blocked? Okay, cool. Then go do your job that's what you're here to do you know you have your freedom go do your job no one's going to oversight you or anything just do your job right um i feel like a lot of people have the sentiment you do about slack and that's not my sentiment for my slacks because we're it's like crickets literally and we don't consider that a bad thing
0: yeah at airbnb someone someone that's used to something
1: else yeah it was what A airbnb
0: total nightmare just always being hit up from every direction, from every, and it was just like, and, it, and it, I, I compared it to, it was as if the cultural psychology is, Heaton's at the water cooler. I'm going to shoot him a note. Everybody's just at the water cooler, not, okay, I need to do some pretty deep work to put this so memo together we, for four hours. I'm closing the door. We also
1: turn, we also recommend people turn on, not everyone does it, but we recommend people turning on the calendar sync so that the little uh, status changes to showing a calendar if you're in a meeting. That's been super helpful because then, you know, because sometimes there are emergencies and urgent things. Uh, but we know when we know basically explicitly if someone's going to be able to respond or if they're in a meeting. So that, that's that been pretty tremendous. Uh, so there's little tricks like that that makes Slack super manageable. And another thing is just making sure you don't have channel sprawl and people just creating channels willy nilly uh, in there. Even like when we work with partners, because uh, now, you know, Slack has Slack connect and all that. They generally get our vibe. And, and they know, like, hey, if you need something, we're always here. and But it's not like a free-for-all where we should just be messaging each other all the time because it's just not how the company works because people are able to have the time to do their work. And it's kind of like if someone came in and started doing that, they would be taken aside and said, hey, if that's what you want to do and that's how you operate, this might not be the best place for you because we just don't do that here, right? and But if you need that, then, like, let me help you find another job somewhere else because we're not a company that is going to sit here and – you know, cause a lot of unnecessary chatter in Slack, um, just because we don't believe that's the best way to work. And I don't want to police it, but when we haven't had to, but that's that's kind of how we do it.
0: No, that's uh, twelve. Lives are made on twelve-minute awkward conversations. So you have that That's awkward exactly conversation right. and then you avoid six months later. <laughs> lives are made and, on that. I love that. I'm going to use that. Oh, it's I'm like, hey, we're about to get in a convo right now. James said lives are made on these type of combos. Let's go. <laughs> and you know where I got that was actually, I was, uh, is from a lifetime romantic movie that I have no idea what the movie was even about. I was walking through the room nice. and my wife was watching it 10 years ago and, uh, eight years ago or so. And I just hear this this this, oh, this guy say uh lives are made on twelve minutes of courage. And and then Ooh. I just Ooh. I was like, Deep, what was that? And I kept walking through the room and I have no idea the context, so I had to fill it in my head. I was like, That is so true. Lives are made on the other side of twelve minute awkward conversations or twelve minutes of courage of jumping in and, and stopping something that you know needs to be stopped. Like the slack tragedy. Um okay, so What is the communication just to touch on it for what the best practice of communication? If it's not a meeting, it's not Slack. What would you uh, see in that utopia or at, at Nira? You mentioned you love writing
1: somebody, somebody writing something thoughtful. It could be writing in Slack, but it would be a thoughtful thing in Slack about something. And usually it's like, Hey, here's what's going on. I'm not sure what decision we should make. Here are the options. So people are always bringing options to the table if there's confusion or they're unable to make a decision. And so we we try to push for that, which is like, hey, if you need help, come up with some options so that the person you're asking for help from has something to process, not just like your main message, but it's like, have you thought through what the options are here? That's mm-hmm. like a big push that we have, not just in writing, but in general. So I would, I would we, we try to go to that side, which is like the person that's bringing the problem or the challenge or the opportunity or the, the the thing is presenting options. Another thing we do often is like, you know, a lot of times like people are sending emails and stuff like that to outside parties and stuff. There is one common thread I've seen that somehow happened internally where like, if you're sending an email, um, Maybe you need to check it with somebody just to make sure, double check it or whatever, because it might be an important email uh, or an email to a client or something like that. So there's a lot of screenshotting of emails going on uh, and people just reviewing each other's stuff like that. So that that that's something that is very async, but is has been really valuable for us um, as people are ramping up in certain areas and might not know how to like speak to the customer yet or stuff like that. Uh, so that's another tactic that we found really effective, oddly, and it's a real weird one because... I don't think it would happen in a non-remote environment. You wouldn't bring someone over and be like, hey, can you check this email for me? Mm-hmm. In the same way that we're able to do just because it's remote. So it almost feels normal and okay to be like, hey, I'm gonna send this message to somebody. Can you just check it real quick and make sure I'm not missing anything, blah, blah, blah. That happens a lot in our company. And it's, it's been a fascinating one. It's a new one for me in terms of recognizing the power of it and how different that is than an office environment where I think people aren't, aren't don't usually feel as comfortable, like almost like they, they think emailing is their job but emailing is nobody's job, right? Like like we all can help each other and we all get better that way. So there's a lot of those kind of things going on that are small that I've found to be very helpful, productive, useful. That's very cool. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. Cause like, you know, yeah, you can write the email. You don't need to check it with anyone, but that, they're not checking, people aren't checking it because they think they need to check it with someone, but it's like a collaborative, a, a small collaborative thing where we just get better together because we're all sending emails to people, right? And stuff like that. So I don't know uh, that, that one came to mind and, and it's a newer one, very, very, very much the last six months or so as we've scaled the team. Um,
0: you know, and, that's, the, the, and by the way, that's the, the benefit of yeah. asynchronous communication. If you're having a meeting <laughs> internal, external, you can't go through the communication. I mean, you're just going to say what you're going to say, but if you're writing it down, internal memo that you're going to send out to the company, you can have two, three people, check it out, add, you know, subtract, uh, improve. It's just easy. S- same for, yeah, external and every external conversation. If you're running a company, every external conversation is a sale of some sort. That's right. And not everybody has, uh, you know, level 10 sales uh, kind of yeah. uh, writing capabilities, but you can tap into that collective before you send that email so it's easily. Pretty,
1: pretty amazing, dude. And like, it, it, and we, we actually don't, you know, I know a lot of people ask me about tools um, we don't use any fancy tools like there's very few fancy tools and fancy what I mean is non-standard So I know a lot of people love notion or coda or any of these things We don't use any of those effing tools to be honest Not that they're effing tools, But to me they are because I think that they have too many features and they clog things up and again Cool with anyone that wants to use them use all their fancy features I, I'm <laughs> I'm an investor in some of those and stuff like that. That's not I'm not knocking the products but for us it's Google Docs and Google Sheets Everyone uses it. Everyone knows it. If I send a link to someone inside, outside, whatever, it's not an issue. We also happen to be a company that helps secure those documents in Google Workspace today. And a lot of the other tools don't have the APIs to secure the documents the way that companies need to. So, uh, And we're a security company at this point, and internal security procedures are important. So that's another reason. But like, I, I think people try to get too fancy. Th- that's my long-winded mm-hmm. way of saying that. And it's not that these tools are in tools, but to me they are because they add more friction to getting work done. And so if a tool is, add, and the one I do love that doesn't add friction and is fucking amazing is, uh, excuse my French, is uh, Airtable.
0: Okay, Huge yeah, tell me, AirTable. Tell, me, tell me the Huge tools. Huge fan, oh okay, my God. So Google Docs, Google Sheets, Slack every once in a while. Um, what else? What are they? Airtable. Airtable.
1: Airtable, Zoom, and unfortunately Google Hangouts when we need to use it um but but we don't usually need to use it except with certain partners and stuff but um definitely zoom uh, is a big one uh and and i'm trying to think are there any collaborative tools that we use that i'm i'm a fan of Uh, our company does use status hero on engineering um and it's a tool uh, that we used to do like a slack channel of people would just post in there like you know this is what i did yesterday this is what i do today and i'm a big fan of that um we started using status hero And my personal job and my co-founder's job got pretty convoluted as the company has scaled uh, to the point where, like, you you couldn't really identify what we were doing every day. And Mm -hmm. us writing about it wasn't effective or useful or helpful for anyone. So the engineering team still uses Status Hero. I am a big fan of the tool and how much visibility it gives people, especially across time zones. Um, But in general, like, I like like that system of everyone. Do you use it? Do non-technical
0: folks use it?
1: At this point, we've decided not to have non-technical mm-hmm. folks use it for the moment. And the reason is our jobs are a lot fuzzier. And it's just hard to understand how we're making progress or anything like that for the team. There weren't any problems or anything. I just felt like it's a waste of time for non-engineers. Right. Some non-engineers still do it. Um, myself and my co-founder just stopped. It, it's almost like at one point I had like a like a moment of truth where I'm like, wait, I'm writing these things. But they don't matter because I'm doing 500 other things every day on top of this, and no one can understand what I'm doing or what. Or no one should even try. Yeah, right? yeah, I just had so many things going on that like it just doesn't make sense.
0: I remember someone smart telling me one time that sea uh, level folks should be uh, thinking 25% on the next 90 days, 75% 90 days and beyond. So the vast majority of their time, and then uh, below that it becomes 50 50. Below that, it's uh, the reverse of 75 on today, uh, 25, um, uh, 90 days out. Below that, four layers down. It's just 100% on the next 90 days or whatever's needed. And uh, for this week, this day, the next hour. And where that ties to what you're saying is for many folks in, in a ceo seat i mean if you're taking your company public in nine months that's your day that's your job every day and your status is really changing and there's about yeah four, and there's a million things, things you're doing that, for it and yes. no
1: one needs to know what those things are because they don't matter to anybody but you and whoever you're doing them with and it's incredible I, i've definitely come around to not doing those updates because things are insane in my i mean if i have 15 minutes a day what am i going to do talk about all those 15 meetings and these updates not it's a waste of everyone's time um and and, and all that so so that's Uh, you know, kind of uh, the way we think about that. But we do use Status Hero for folks who kind of can have updates. Usually it's engineering, just to keep everyone in the loop of what the progress is and what's going on. Uh, Airtable. So Airtable, we we have our org chart in Airtable. We have our way of uh, initiating like client uh, 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 accounts in Airtable. Like we basically add the client, uh, add certain things, checkbox the status. And then when it hits a certain status, of that client like having signed the agreement, vendor review stuff on our end. I mean we're we're dealing with customers on that level today that are like mid-market and enterprise. We also have smaller customers that have a different process. But once these certain check marks are set, like the customer signed up, the agreement signed, vendor reviews done, when I hit that last checkbox, uh Slack is pinged from Airtable and the engineering team is pinged in the provision customers channel and it says, oh this customer's ready for provisioning. And then the and, and all these processes are currently manual for us on purpose. And so then the engineering team goes and takes care of uh, starting their ingestion of their data because we're basically pulling in all of your Google Docs into our interface, all the metadata for them, not storing the docs themselves, and are you know building an experience off of that. So it takes about two two to two to three four days, sometimes uh, usually within 48 hours to pull in all the data, even if a company has like 100 million documents, we can do it that fast. Um, so we have a very manual provisioning right now. So like Airtable has been a godsend in terms of those kind of things and workflows that we can create that don't cause overhead and don't like bog us down, but also the way that they built the blocks and the sheets, like the sheets equivalent in there and all that, it's not about calculations and things like an Excel and sheets. It's more about workflows and being able to organize the data in one place. We, we have a tremendous, uh, we have a lot, I have a lot of fun in that tool, frankly, it's probably one of the most fun tools I use that's not, Really, I haven't gotten that into um, it, but that is yeah. and that
0: is different from when we chatted a year ago or so. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like that is that definitely new. It, I'm a big trip.
1: Airtable fan. It, it, they've they've done a great job of of making it easy and a very usable product. Um, even Coda and Notion are pretty usable, but the thing is, like, they're they're actually I shouldn't say they're as usable as Airtable because they definitely aren't. But like they they add so much. They have added so many features and functionality. That, like, I think a lot of people that I try to send a Coda doc or a Notion doc to are very confused Mm -hmm. when they look at it. Well, if I send them a Google doc, they understand what they're looking at. It feels like even if they know Word, they can go into a Google doc and be like, okay, I get it. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I can use this thing. And we use a lot of the suggested changes feature where you can suggest change. We use that like every day on things like, you know, like those emails, those emails are usually screenshots, but uh, any content, any writing, any communication, any of that stuff, it's in a Google doc and people are suggesting changes and you know, the people that own the doc or whatever, approving them, whatever, discussing, et cetera. It's it's honestly, that's fun too, frankly, in the way that Google has just got out of the way and made you have that functionality. they've gotten, they've made it better and better over time Mm -hmm. to the point where like, you can like tag someone in the comment. I mean, they've, it's very impressive. Without in my opinion, blow, about it,
0: Huff. it also is so simple. Thank still. you. Yes, versus and, and all these Notion other tools have blow. Just there's like 18 icons you have to learn when you jump into Notion. Um, last question: What are final thoughts that you would leave with all of us trying to figure out this this brand new world we find ourselves in?
1: Find a job. Find a new job. Just find a new job. Like find a new job. If you're not happy at your job and you're dealing with these this uncertainty there are a lot of options out there and there are a lot of companies out there that know how to do this stuff much better than others. And the large companies tend to be really struggling with this because they've got a very diverse workforce, not in terms of just diversity, but like people everywhere. And now these problems are showing up for them. So this is one of the best times to like, from a, from a small startup standpoint, hire people who are frustrated with where they're at partly because of the remote work uh, opportunities and options being unclear, but also because like, I think, you know, my next point to the managers is like, if you want to keep your team happy, you're going to have to spend much more time understanding what their world looks like now, because their world is very different than it was before. And a lot of these managers and executives have not kept up with that and with the changes that are happening uh, for their team members. So those are two for employees. Just go find another job. Like there are a lot of jobs out there. Go start interviewing. Like it's okay. Like there, and there are, a lot are companies of that are,
0: there. that are giving a lot of clarity of saying we are now remote. And, and then by That's giving right. that clarity, you also just, you stack in all of this effort to make it as good as possible versus the limbo. Yeah. Yeah. No one's investing in making it as good as possible. If you think, oh, in six months, we're going to be back in the office. That's right. So, yeah. they're,
1: they're still investing in the office.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then for the uh, managers, the managers, uh, it's
1: for the managers, um, it's, uh, I think really important to even do simple things like what, who and what percentage of your team members moved like start start basically it's like you know when, when you're when you're doing product development you're going and talking to your customer so for managers I just recommend you start treating employees like customers and go figure out what's going on in their worlds and then figure out a plan based on that data and that information because very simple reason if you go talk to your customers your team members that are reporting to you and you bring that up right then you can make better decisions. And then no matter what decision you make, everyone's gonna feel like you talked to them, you heard them, and you made decisions based on what you heard. Just like you would with a product where you would listen to your customers, you get the feedback, and you make decisions that are aligned with that feedback. And so even if someone was in the on the margin and said, oh, you know, only 5% of people have this situation and we're not gonna address it, but we're gonna address the 95%, even that person with that 5% situation well, at least appreciate that you addressed it and you talked to them and you understood it. They can make a decision if they want to leave or not. That's still, but that's going to happen regardless. So do you want someone to leave with this like attitude that your company is not doing the right thing? Or do you want them to leave with the attitude of at least they heard me or at least they tried to hear me out? And then and then when you when you talk about what you're going to do, you bring those things up and be like, we heard X, Y, and Z, so we're going to do A, B, C. And I'm sorry for anyone where we can't address D, E, F, But that was this percentage of the people, and I will help you figure out what you need, right? Mm -hmm. Like in whatever way, whether it's here or somewhere else. So it's like it's just a – you need to be – look, I think leadership is all about clarity. You need to be a clarity-delivering machine. And if you're not, you're going to cause a lot of problems for your team and your company and your ability to execute. And so this is my piece of advice for any manager, any scale of company. Deliver clarity. And when you don't have it, go get it. How do you get it? Go talk to your customer. Who's mm. your customer? Everyone that reports to you. Mm. And again, that's a lot of effort. That's added load for any manager. So I respect any manager that calls BS on me and says you can't do that, or I can't do that. I'll just call BS on them and just say that means you don't care about your team. Sorry. Or, I mean, and it's, they're gonna it's, leave you.
0: And you either put the effort towards that or you're gonna be putting that effort towards recruiting four new team it members that you unex- sucks, unexpected, right? yeah, which okay. is, is way yeah. worse. The uh, And I think, yeah, it's, you don't have to deliver comfort or appeasement of all options that are on the table. But that clarity at least closes the gap of my manager knows what I'm going through, what I'm thinking through. I can't imagine. Uh, there are probably very few managers from Microsoft to Deloitte that know where all of their team members are, much less where their heads are at of where they want to... Do they see themselves in the company in three months, in six months? And, and, and don't don't let HR do the research for you. Right. Right. Go
1: do the research yourself. These are your team members. These are people you value. These are people that are working with you. These are people that you have to do reviews on and you have to manage their, you know, personal lives and emotions as much as you need to in order to get them to do the job. And so to me, like I see a lot of leadership at some of the companies you mentioned leave it up to HR. Mm-hmm. Or leave it up to another
0: department, and they always have been able team. to. I mean, yeah, they didn't have to think about the working environment. What we now. just chatted about of your working environment, yeah. it was standardized, delivered day one. They That's never right. had to think about it. It's very different now. Well, Heaton, thank you so much. Where can find? Where can people find out more about you um, online? Uh, Twitter, Twitter
1: at H-N-S-H-A-H. I've been tweeting a lot more about a lot of different things. So uh, I look, I I have a lion as my profile pic right now, which is not something we talked about, Uh, but that's uh, related to crypto uh, currency and NFTs and all that stuff. Uh, I'm playing around with that from a hobby standpoint. And uh, again, maybe another episode at some point, but uh, that, that, yeah, I'm on Twitter. That's the best place to find me. Everything's from there.
0: Awesome. And uh, Nira is a phenomenal company for keeping track of all of your different accounts in this remote world where everybody's logged into 15 different uh, critical accounts. Yep. Um, it's, it's a very cool company. Uh, yeah. The uh, I can't thank you enough for the generosity of insight and wisdom shared. Really appreciate it, Heaton. And can't wait for part four sometime down the road. Sounds good. Thanks, James. Thanks, buddy but but